Well, good morning, everybody. What a beautiful morning it is, too. Woke up to the sound of the rain splashing outside, rain dripping off the roof and splashing in the wheelbarrow. The yeah, melodic I wasn't sound. Really crazy about that. <laughs> <laughs> All you can think about is, yeah, and I'm going to get into my lovely rain gear today and get out there and do it some oh, more. I don't even work a whole in, lot more. I don't even work in rain gear. I, I just work until I get so wet I can't take it. But it works. Yeah, there's so many people that do it like that. And if you're not obligated to do so, and you're not going to be standing around, so you'll get cold in it. Working in just clothes that can stay warm, particularly wool on them. You got some nylon on them. You know, it, I, I say that so merino casually. I wear those wool t-shirts that I just love. Yeah. You know, so when they get wet, they still stay, keep you warm. There is that about that. And, you know, your body heat gets right up there and warms yourself right up as long as you stay active. And it's if you're out pretty, in your garden, of course, you're going to be staying active. It's a pretty active day today. Everybody's speeding around at about 80 miles an hour. And the boats are all out. The fish are in. Crabs are coming in. It's really an active time of year. And, and in our gardens. always rains. That's right. It almost always rains. Almost. Uh, when it doesn't, we're just stressed because we have to have the water in order for the fish to come. You know, you can't have your river le- levels low. You know, they're not going to make it. Absolutely not. And, you know, so much of the, the flower show right now gets beaten up by the rain coming on it. It really does. There's only a few kinds of flowers that can take this weather. And uh, it's really nice to incorporate colored leaves into your garden so that you have colored texture there when the flowers get too beat up. And I know most people have their hanging baskets under an eave or a porch and they're protected. And and spot pots are the same way. But for out in the garden, um, some of the best ones I know of are those big daisies. And my favorite, the Roseanne geranium, the garden phlox, the hot pink phlox. Yeah, those are really good ones. Bee balm's a great one. And the yellow achillea. Those are five really good in the rain kind of flowers for the midsummer. And that, you're right, that yarrow, the achillea, is a great performer. That moonshine or moonlight. What a beautiful color that is. It's so vibrant. Uh, When you set that with something that's dark blue like the, like the Roseanne's and and the white accent like Becky Daisies or the short uh, dwarf Shasta Daisies. What a great combination those are. Right, and we also, what else? That Marcus, not Marcus, that one quits blooming about now. But the... Sage, the the perennial sages. Perennial sages are really Mm -hmm. good, and they're really, really really tough. And they're beautiful. But they need to have something like the Achillea or something bright next to them. Otherwise, they recede visually in the darkness of this kind of weather. There is that. When you're laying out your landscape and you're laying out the color design, that's something to remember, is that lighter colors come to the forefront and actually show up closer to you and and carry a lot of the weight. And the darker colors, the dark reds and the dark blues are more somber. And they're less likely to show off. They're going to move back into the background. Well, our light is beautiful here. It's, you know, all the mist and water droplets reflecting what natural light there is but it does cause different effects with the flowers in the garden and so that's why if you have things that have different colored leaves in contrast to one another that are growing roughly at the same scale um I mean, it's always nice to have Japanese maples and colors, trees that change color, the katsuras and, and, and big Norway maples and things like that. But 
vine maple. But uh, the trees are on one level. But down on the garden edge where the spreading shrubbery is, you really want to play that up and not expect any one thing to carry the day. Mm, there's some Catoni asters that do well. We've seen them in people's yards up on Calhoun Avenue, those cascading Catoni asters that go over the rock wall. They're turning brilliant red right now, really early for a fall color change. But they do that every year, and they're a nice, brilliant color. I'll never be a fan of Catoni aster. I'm sorry. <laughs> but you know, the great thing about We're all like that, you working know? in the landscape is you get to pick what you like and what you don't like. That's you right. know? And I know when I hear that tone of voice, <laughs> I'm never going to be a fan. I know exactly what you mean. Okay, this is a call-in show, 907-586-1800. Gets you on the air. You can ask us questions, suggest things to us, invite us to look at things. We get invitations all the time to come and look at this in my yard. It's so spectacular right we now. We love that. And I'm so glad to have bought it 15 years ago and how much I love to see it every year and and sharing that kind of information with other people who are perhaps not as uh, as experienced or have not had, had as much uh, longevity in the region is really, really helpful. Going around and looking at stuff is uh, an absolute pleasure. I loved no matter going, where we go. I loved going to Doc and Sally Polly's garden Boy. out there. It, it was just no matter be, when no matter when it was just absolutely a kick in the pants because, and he had trilliums there yeah growing around the house his log yeah. house that was so cool his garden was incredible his delphiniums yep. were 12 feet tall <laughs> you yep. know and he loved them and he was so he and Sally were so nice at sharing and talking about their experiences and and all the pioneer gardeners that we ever got to brush shoulders with you know were always free with their knowledge and Absolutely. i really take that as a pattern that i try to emulate because uh i know that there's a lot of young people coming on and they're really interested in in what they don't know they want to know everything just like everybody else wants to know everything so sharing what you know is really important as a gardener and you're really good at that margaret you take when, when someone <laughs> asks bossy. you a question like that you know you always take the time to sit down with them and say okay this is just the tip of the iceberg you know yes you're asking me what can grow over a rock wall but i'm going to tell you uh not only six things to do it but how to set it up and how to make it work right and which ones are the best yeah which ones work best here you know so anyway I know there's a bunch of gardeners at home today saying, am I going to get out there? Well, okay, here's maybe somebody is. Good morning, Conversations. Good morning, calling from Gustavus. I've got a question for you. Great. My my wife has been pouring uh, leftover coffee and coffee grounds diluted down onto her roadies and um, azaleas, and it perks them right up. They seem to love it, but I'm curious, what is it that makes them love it? You're, you're changing the pH of the soil. You're making it more acid, and they are acid-loving plants. And you and Gustavus are unique in southeast Alaska in that the rest of the area is really an acid kind of soils, but you don't have that. You have, you have a more basic, uh, uh, higher pH level. The lower oh, okay. pH, the more acid, the higher pH, 
the more uh, alkaline. alkaline. And so you are more alkaline than most other places. And and by pouring the coffee grounds and the diluted Boy, And coffee, that's an old, old thing. You betcha. Yeah. An old style of gardening that pioneers used for a long time. And, and, and there are lots of things besides the rhododendrons. The blueberries are things that really appreciate that too. Blueberries, oh, blueberries. lingonberries, and uh, creeping blueberries, all those things. They all like an acid kind of soil. That whole family, ericaceous stuff, heathers, they all like an acid soil. And, and she's, got, she's right on anyway. Yeah, doing that with your coffee grounds is perfect. Thanks for sharing that. Well, it sure works. Thank you for taking the call. Absolutely. <coughs> As a matter of fact, uh, we put in a berry garden for a client just a couple of years ago, and she was unhappy because her, all these beautiful berries weren't producing. So David did a, knew somebody who spent time years ago researching, because, you know, he's an egghead, uh, how to grow blueberries. And he said... The only thing he could think of that would make a difference coffee like that. grounds. Coffee grounds, that's right. Around. So I went around and I said, where can I get coffee grounds? Well, Heritage Coffee said, we got them. Right. So anyway, I, I imagine that uh, plenty of people make coffee at home and have the coffee grounds. And if you have those kinds of, of acid-loving plants and they're not performing like you think you want, give it a shot. See what you can do. And remember, out at the drip line, that's where their active roots are. And speaking of the rhododendrons and azaleas, the azaleas are starting to turn color. Did you notice that? Yeah, the they're also are getting, getting they're, color? they're still and they're getting a little powdery mildew, which is not unusual with the kind of weather we have. So not to worry about it, right? You know that kind of powdery film that gets on their leaves, but they're beautiful no matter what. Absolutely, and and uh, when they come into bloom in the springtime. They don't have any leaves, hardly. That's right, and it's such a shock how brilliant those colors are. Absolutely fluorescent. Absolutely. Orange, gold, red, pink, that white with a speckled throat. They're such pretty plants. So uh, it's uh, resupplying time in the nursery, and we're bringing more material in. And uh, I'm, I'm setting my orders in right now. And one of the things that we're going to be bringing in are the Japanese maples because they're coming into their absolute showtime now. And uh, I had a communication with my Japanese maple growing friend, and he sent me a, a list of availability. If anyone is interested in Japanese maples coming in this season, give me a call today so, so I can include them. Are there any muns on that list? There are. What size? I have... I have four to five and three to four foot Munns Moonrise, the nice. most spectacular Asian maple in the planet. Well, it's, it's, it's a beautiful maple. Don't misunderstand me. I think that Japanese maples are things that everyone appeals to somebody else. You know what I mean? It's not, it doesn't cover all the bases. You mean my taste is not the only taste in the world? No, thank heavens. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the way it goes. <laughs> you know, mm, I've absolutely. lived with it long enough. Thank no, you very much. No, I know much. just what you mean. <laughs> and, and I have to say also. Because I love the green palmatums. My it, taste is a changeable thing. What I love this year is not necessarily what I loved five years ago. Oh, you mean you're fickle. No, Unlike I mean, me, I, I never I mean, change I my evolve. mind. <laughs> I wouldn't say that I am fickle. Okay, so uh, colored foliage is, is a... a, a very prominent part of the gardens this year and also when you're and talking every, about garden design every year 
Talk to me a bit about uh, repetition and pattern as you're looking out in the landscape. Well, I know that we've spoken of this before. And and this is a call-in show, so if you want to call in... Okay, 907-586-1800. How about that, huh? Perfect. We We all come with a landscape. We all come from a landscape. We all come from some place on the planet that reminds you of home, of a place, a garden, a tree, a shrub, whatever it is, a flower pot that resonates inside your heart, your soul, that says to you, this is what I love, you know, if you're a person who pays attention to that kind of thing. So when it comes to doing patterning or any kinds of of rebuilding of landscapes, um, I always try to be sensitive to the person I'm designing it for and where do they come from. Because they, you know, you could make a thousand different designs, but if you don't have an idea of where the person talks about and things that they like and introduce that back again in a new order Mm -hmm. with a new landscape, you'll always miss the mark. So you have to kind of get inside their head in a way, I mean, not intrusively or anything, and be sensitive about their conversation and what they're looking for. Now, a lot of people say, I just want a lawn. Okay, well, that's easy. Uh, Although I always kind of tremble when I have to put in lawns. (laughs) It's so much work. But but, uh, so the patterning is different for everyone and different people like different things. But a framework is important that you can put in any landscape. And the my I have a palette of plants uh-huh. that I like to pick and choose from that I use in a repetition. And really, there's a few vertical items that are evergreen. There are some deciduous items that are dis, that change color. But mostly, I like plants that max out at four feet and can be an undulating from anything from 18 inches to four feet and undulate in color and texture, whether they flower or they don't flower, and repeat that. Here you see it, here you don't, here you see it, here you don't. So that's kind of, that's what I do. And there's a lot of criteria when you're doing that. One of them is is the repetition of color and shape. Another one is how far into the landscape you can see. Because for some people, having it up close and very dense, and so the, each item that they see is very occupies a lot of their consciousness, that's a, that's a particular style. And for another kind of person, they're going to want to be able to look over the landscape and see the whole well, sweep sure. of that. It has to do with how deep, you know, how big's the spot. It all has to do with scale. And I know that when you design landscapes for people in suburban neighborhoods, you often disguise the edges and, and uh, mask the neighboring structures and the neighboring fence edges filter them. to put them into the place of the larger landscape. Right. You filter. Uh-huh. You know, it's not like you're going to block them off completely, but you want to filter it and so I that know it's you friendly also, and yet not claustrophobic. You designed a landscape for a memory court in the new... Uh, assisted living facility and that's going to be for people that have um, dementia essentially that are are, going to be walking and seeing rarely by themselves mostly in company but they're going to be uh, 
inundated with the landscape that you designed here. Right, and it's open to the sky, but it's in a building. So that landscape I put in as a repeating pattern that varied by the big elements, but the I used hedges of Japanese maples in different colors, in different sizes. That's the background. And in front of them, there are all kinds of foliage that uh, some of it's evergreen, some of it's deciduous because it'll go dormant in the wintertime. Uh, and then there are icons of big Japanese maples, some weeping, some upright, different colored leaves, different textures, but a simplicity overall so that that same feeling of now you see it, now you don't, will add calmness and security as they make their rounds, but not boring. No, never boring. Not boring. Never boring and never uh, and never confusing. No, very familiar. Mm-hmm. Everything. Seems- Even if you don't know what the name of those things are, you know, it's like, oh, isn't that pretty? I belong here. Uh-huh. How soothing how soothing to the eye and the colors that you chose are not jarring well they're They're all leaf color they're yellow they're red they're green uh and they're dark green with for the evergreens so it's a textural vision that you walk through well, I love that. I love that in our work together. I love it when we go look at places. And I really love it when we go look at places that are done nicely. You know, there have been some landscapes that we have visited that have never left my mind. The uh, Huntington Gardens was one where the where it was all about shapes. Right. You know? Yes, there were colors, but really the, it was more about the, the plant shapes and the the upright spikies and the long snakies and the lay on the ground And the sculptures. Oh, so stunning. And then they fit the sculptures in there, too. It was a sculpture garden. But anyway, there are people here in Juneau that have beautiful gardens. Absolutely beautiful, stunning. Dozens of them. Not, you know, really and truly, that have been gardening for a long time, and their landscapes are stunningly beautiful. Uh, Another one to think about is those kind of rock garden landscapes. Where, they, where people have the change in elevation and they've got a uh, some kind of retaining wall, a rock wall or a brick wall or a concrete wall, and they've got some, and they wanted to soften that look or make that seem more uh, integrated into their larger landscapes. Well, when you're doing that, it's nice. To, you know, you've been carrying those uh, super plugs of shrubs and ground covers. And there's <coughs> different sizes. There's real small ones. I, I don't know what they're all, the different dimensions. Oh, I've got dozens of them, right. But, and some of them are quite large uh, in that they're, the roots are about six inches long and a nice sturdy spike. That as you build the wall, placing the soil and putting the plant in before you go up onto the next level is really the way to go. It it's is. Hard, but, but it's hard to go in. It's hard to go in and plant it in between just little cracks and have it necessarily be successful because the dirt doesn't necessarily go all the way back. That's right. And so winter can knock it out. I mean, so it's really a, a, a technique or you plant it on top and let it just crawl down the face and have it be like a petticoat dripping from above, which uh, certainly does work because you can give it plenty of dirt that way. Uh-huh. Uh, 
one of the best plants for that is that saxifrage London Pride that really seems to grow on air doesn't it it, it does it's just amazing that you can uh, actually it creeps slap across it. the face of a sheer rock and just makes its own little places mm-hmm. attaches to the rock and climbs on down and attaches again that's pretty cool stuff okay here's a phone uh, good call. morning conversations hello hello hi i have a question um, I have an invasive, it looks like buttercups, I don't know the exact name, it's invading my lawn. I wondered if you could tell me how to rid myself of them, and I'll listen. Thank you very much. Okay, okay. you bet. Well, that is one of the most difficult things to do. Well, there's that organic uh, killer that the man called and gave us the recipe for the Epsom salts and the vinegar. Uh-huh. Um but you'd have to, that would kill anything you sprayed it on. So you'd have to put some kind of, of pad down around it and spray that on the leaf there. You know, taking now Go it, ahead and kill some of your lawn and just reseed it once you get the weed out. Well, that's true too. <laughs> and, and maybe that's probably the best thing of all is to take those. Of course, if, I'm rather cavalier can, with lawns. Right. If you can do it, taking that whole chunk out and then reseeding it is often a very good choice. It's hard and, and you know, the era of let's spray weed killer on our lawn has pretty much passed. Well, not uh, of that. It doesn't work. It kills it in the moment, but it doesn't go all the way down to the end of the root, and it just comes back the next year. So it's a waste of everything, environment, chemicals. It's not a good way. I thought that that organic Epsom salt vinegar, and you have Dawn. Uh, I wrote it down. I know. Mm-hmm. So is there a way for this person to look that up in case they would like to have it? I, I'll see if I can find where I wrote it down. <laughs> anyway, you know, it's you only might in be the able, last couple of months. But, uh, you might be able to look it up on the Internet. And how about if you reach out to me with an email, landscapealaska at gmail. I'll go through my notes from our conversations. It was just within the last couple of months. So it's, you know, it's, two it's weeks fairly ago. high it's on two the weeks pile. Ago. <laughs> of my note taking, so uh, I'll uh, I'll look that recipe up and send it on to you. My friend is building a rock garden on a, a dividing wall between her property and the adjoining one, and it's 150 feet long and eight feet high. And she's looking to put, and it's existing rock work, so she's looking to do something with that that can make it attractive. And also, and enjoyable. is it freestanding? Freestanding. Good luck. Well, well, that's going to allow a lot of choices. And and what you were saying earlier about the uh, soil in the rock work being the deciding factor about what can grow there, how much dirt you can provide. You know, is it going to be something that's going to be a, a woody shrub that'll grow and hang down over the edges, or does it have to be something that's going to be an herbaceous thing? that goes dormant in the middle of the winter? Or is it going to be an herbaceous thing that does stay evergreen? Well, (coughs) I certainly, in that case, you know, I would pick six things and plant ten of each of them in a group, individual groups, and then wait for the winter and see what survives. Because that's the only way you'll know. The rest of it's just a crapshoot. Sorry. 
it's not you know it's one thing to have a wall that has land mass behind it that you can utilize the surface of the earth for insulation versus a freestanding wall that doesn't really have dirt in it but you have to place well maybe tough real real tough strawberries maybe okay so here's another one to think about it there that some some arrangements when you do a planting like that are more higgledy-piggledy than others have a lot of individual pieces that are kind of mixed together or some that have larger areas that are the same kind of thing and not if i'm doing it <laughs> this is an opening in a conversation for you now dear so why would you say that uh, because I think that things have to have a certain order. When there's just chaos and being higgly-piggly and there's no pattern there, it's disconcerting. And it never looks together, ever. Now, that's just my, my narrow-minded opinion. That doesn't mean everybody else feels that way. Some people like chaos and look at it and think, this looks great. That's on your side. Okay, it's on my side. <laughs> I got to tell you too. We did a project just a few days ago, and uh, and Tyler Rental came through with flying colors. We had a need to have something happen. It was difficult for them to provide it, but they bent over backwards in order to do so. It was great. It and was. We, and, we had and to move these big planters. Quickly. And uh, we had a need of a tool we could only get from them, and they allowed us to get get to kind of slide in and slide out. Here's another call. Good morning, Conversations. Good morning. I think the recipe you're looking for is one gallon of white vinegar, two cups of Epsom salts, and a quarter cup of Dawn. Thank you so much. David's writing it down again. And uh, <laughs> is there a name for this? I I got it from your program. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. great. You. Have you tried it yet? Pardon? Have you tried it yet? No, I haven't. No. Okay. Okay, well, we'll try it today and see how it works, too. Okay. Well, thank you so quick, much. Yeah. I just have a quick question. Okay. I was dropping off some people at the airport and noticed a very dark flower, maybe ornamental cabbage? Yes, it's a kale. Oh, kale. Ornamental okay. kale. It's really a lovely backdrop to Boy, the isn't it though? lighter colored flowers that were there. And using it in that large swath like they did there, that's yeah. a very effective backdrop. It was wonderful. In previous <laughs> seasons, there have just been the concrete wall behind those floral decorations. Putting that dark background behind it really makes those colors pop, doesn't it? It really does. Ornamental kale? Ornamental kale. Great, thank you. Okay, you bet. You thank you, and thanks for the recipe, <laughs> even though it came from us. <coughs> you betcha. Thank you so much. So uh, we're going to be, be uh, visiting the police station and looking at your old landscape layout there very shortly. That was a, uh, a, a transplant program using the, uh, the native understory. One minute left. Okay, so we should save that topic for another day. I'm going to be open today and tomorrow at Landscape Alaska. Please come and see me. I'll be open until 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And next weekend, Connor and I, or somebody else, is going to be at the uh, outdoor Jack. sale at the Jack. And that should be a very exciting event. So uh, 
we went last week to the Makers Fair, and uh, that was a really interesting program too. And we were thrilled to be there. So, if you got other questions, call us up or send us an email to landscapealaska at gmail. And thank you so much for listening to our show. Always. We so appreciate and we really love when someone stops us on the street and says, I heard you. Because <laughs> you never have any idea. Okay, until next week, this is Margaret and Dave from Landscape Alaska. And we're wishing you all happy gardening.